Amen. You may be seated, and I invite you to take your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. It's good to see you here this morning, and as I mentioned last week, uh, today is a, a day on the calendar where we talk about the sanctity of human life, sanctity of human life Sunday, and um, before I forget, we have, uh, we're going to talk about ways that you can help and uh, help participate in a ministry that we've supported in the past, which is I Choose Pregnancy Services in Nightdale. Uh, they have one, I think, in Clayton. It's either Clayton or Garner. Um, but we have these handouts, these little sheets of paper that tell you how you can pray and how you can uh, donate and be involved. Um, I visited there uh, Tuesday to pray and uh, pick those up and pray with the workers there and just pray for God to use them to uh, save many lives, both babies and moms um, and dads, to see that they would come to know Jesus and, and to save uh, the lives of innocent babies. And uh, they asked for prayer for, uh, you know, all the things that you might think. But one of the things that they did ask for prayer was for a full-time sonographer. So I know we have people in the medical community. If you know anybody that would be interested, make sure uh, this is your, I'm throwing this out there for you to maybe ask them if they'd be interested in participating in that ministry. But uh, the sanctity of human life is something that it, it does us well to revisit this doctrine, this teaching of scripture on a regular basis. I think Last week's sermon was a good setup to what we want to talk about this morning, because if you remember last week, we talked about justice. We talked about Jesus being God's chosen instrument, his chosen Messiah of establishing his justice in the world. And this morning, we want to talk about the sanctity of human life. And I think that is a justice issue. I think if we're going to talk about guarding the lives of children and babies and guarding the lives of people who are made in the image of God, that is a justice issue. So it was a fitting background today for today. And I think human life, how we value it, how we understand it is a justice issue. And I think we, ha let, we have to have a conversation for a moment about where we are in, as a culture and in our country, I think it would be easy for me to stand up here, and it, I think it would be a little too simplistic to say that we live in a culture that devalues human life. Uh, and that's not, that's not sarcasm. I, I, don't think, I don't think that applies to the culture as a whole, that it devalues human life. Uh, I don't think that's accurate across the board. I think it's probably more accurate to say that there's a lot of confusion about why life matters and which lives matter. And I think there's confusion, and that confusion leads to inconsistency. And so, in order to kind of give you a picture of what I'm talking about, listen to these three examples, okay? Example number one, in December of 2022, just last year, a little over a month ago, you might have heard a story about Canada changing their laws, and they were changing their laws. They were laxing and, and easing some of their laws for what they call medically assisted death, which is a fancy way of saying something else. It's a politically correct way of saying something else. But they were expanding their access to medically assisted death, 
And according to an article in Reuters, it said that in March of this year, medically assisted death would be available to those whose, quote, sole underlying condition is mental illness. So any, any diagnosis of, of a mental illness and you would be able to access medically assisted death. So here we have a life that is being valued in a way that is inconsistent with what the scriptures would teach. And it also would be characterized by its proponents as a valuation of human life. They would argue that this is how we uphold the value of the life, that, that you get to seek to end it on your own terms. But this language of medically assisted death, that's a smokescreen, okay? What we see in that case is that that there are places in the world where the value of human life, or we should say the devaluing of human life, is accelerating at rapid speed. You know, how many of you, you remember growing up, you remember back in the day they had those metal slides, right, in the summertime, and if you were ever silly enough to get on one with shorts on, right? How fast did you go down the slide? Not very, right? You usually left some skin there, you know. You uh, had left with a little bit of a uh, burn on your... That's not the speed at which these, these things are happening. This is not like, you know, a snail on glue paper. This is, this is rapid pace, whiplash speed. So that's in Canada, but, but we can come a little closer to home because just a few weeks ago, the United States House of Representatives, representatives had a bill entitled the Born Alive Act and the, the gist of that bill was that it would require medical professionals to provide medical aid to any infant that was still alive after a procedure that was intended to end their life. And it passed, but not unanimously. Over 200 representatives voted against it. And so we have these cases in which Life seems to be, and humanity and human beings seem to be devalued, but there's confusion because let's just talk about what happened with the instance of Damar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills player who collapsed on the field. When that happened, all of a sudden everything stopped, right? All the talking heads, all the pundits, everybody said, this is more than a game. This is a human life. This is a human being. This is a human soul. This should weigh on us. We, we have to stop and have, have concern. And, and people started praying and people were showing up at the hospital like this is a life that matters. So which is it? There is a confusion. Does human life matter or not? And these examples, I think, show the confusion. Because it, what if we put what happened through uh, abortion and, and in other ways, what if we put it this way, that many, many, many Damar Hamlins lost their life every day? There's an inconsistency there. And so it is in this confusion that, that Christians, believers, can stand up when we, we must stand up, we must speak up, and we can affirm the sanctity and dignity of human life. And there are a lot of places we could go in the scriptures, but I think you cannot beat Genesis chapter 1. Because in Genesis chapter 1, we have the Holy Spirit revealing not just the creation of mankind, but the triune God's dialogue and thought process behind it. 
If you look in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, this is the last day or the sixth day of creation. God rests on the seventh day. So this is the last day that God is, is doing this work. And at the pinnacle of creation, the, 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 the apex, the, the last thing that he creates is man. In verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. And he created them male and female. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. And so when we look at Genesis chapter 1, I think what we see is human life is sacred because human life is created in the image of God. And so this morning, what I want you to see, we're going to kind of spend some time in Genesis. And then I want to address some areas where the image of God is challenged, uh, attacked, in our world. And then I want us to think about what the solution is. So with, with that in mind, here's what the main idea is, what I hope you take away today, if nothing else. It's this. Human life is sacred. And the gospel affirms the sanctity of human life wherever it is challenged. Let me say that again. Human life is sacred. And the gospel affirms the sanctity of human life Wherever it is challenged, however it is challenged, the gospel affirms this sanctity of human life. So we see in Genesis chapter 1, let's talk about this human life is sacred. God creates mankind in his own image. We have the rationale of the triune God. God purposes it and he does it. And so what I want to point out to you, we've talked about this text before. We, this is the same text we used last year. But what I want you to, to focus on really this morning is the fact that the creation of man in the image of God is not rooted in creation. The rationale is not rooted in creation. It's rooted in the mind of God. God says, let us. There is that triune dialogue so that the image of God is anchored outside of this world. In the mind of God. And so we might use a big fancy word and say that the the, the sanctity of human life, the, the creation of man in the image of God is transcendent. It is not something that is tied and anchored in this world. And because of that, whatever blowing cultural wind changes, it cannot change what God has purposed in his mind in the creation of humanity. In fact, I think this shows the peak idolatry of any attempt to do so. To change the fundamental definition of the image of God. To, die, to deny the fundamental image of God in humanity is to try to invade God's own mind and change it. And you can't do that, right? So human life is sacred, and that sacredness is tied to God's purpose. It's tied to, if we might say, another world outside of this world. It's transcendent. So what that means is that it doesn't matter what classifications are made here. It doesn't matter what the next sociological fad is that tries to separate us or distinguish us or define us. 
it cannot change the fact that God, in his mind, created mankind in his image. When God looks at humanity, he sees a creation in his image. So human beings are created in the image of God, and because of that, they have value. It is a dignity given by God. It is this image and this dignity that I think is under attack on multiple fronts. And we could mention four this morning, and this isn't even all of them. But we said human life is sacred. And the gospel affirms that sanctity, that value, wherever it's challenged. And so what I want us to begin to think about in these four areas is, how do we look at this issue from a gospel standpoint? Because... I think here's the tendency. I'm just going to, this is, uh, uh, you know, they say don't give your opinions in the pulpit, just give people the truth. I understand that, but, but I think this is anecdotally true. I think for the most part in, in evangelical church, if we're being honest, I think we've relied on the law to do a lot of the legwork for us. In other words... Instead of seeking to persuade people to come to Christ so that they value life, we've, we've spent a lot of efforts trying to legislate whether or not certain things can happen, and then we just kind of sit back and think the mission's accomplished. And so what I don't want us to, 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 to fall into is if you think of the, the basic division in Scripture is law and gospel, right? That, that's a traditional distinction in theology, law and gospel. But I think what we may have probably relied too much on is the law and not enough on the gospel. And so we're going to talk about, I say all that to say when we talk about these four areas that the image of God is attacked, I'm not saying we don't pursue legislation. I'm not saying that we don't seek to have righteous laws in our country. But what I am saying is it's not either or, it's a both and. And if we're honest... It feels like, and, and, and I could be wrong, but it feels like for, for large portions of Christianity, we've relied a lot on law and little on gospel. And so how does the gospel, what are the four areas, and then how does the gospel uphold the image of God in those areas, okay? Number one, the one and probably the most prominent that we could talk about this morning is abortion. Abortion is the eradication of the image of God. Abortion seeks to eradicate, to destroy, to end the image of God. But the gospel gives life to the image of God. The gospel takes our perspective and turns our perspective into a life perspective. We experience eternal life through trusting in Christ. We want that life for others, and we want to see life in the world. So while abortion would seek to eradicate the image of God by ending its life, the gospel comes along and it points us to the fact that we can have life and that life is in Christ. And so what does that mean as we uh, approach the issue? Well, I think first of all, it means that we need to view abortion through a gospel lens. We need to view it through a gospel lens. And what does that mean? It means that you can look something through a gospel lens and a law lens because when we read the Bible, you can't really understand the gospel apart from the law. 
The law tells us that we're sinners. It tells us that there are things that we should do and should not do. But we do both the opposite. It tells us that we're sinners, that we're, we're not perfect. We deserve judgment. We cannot save ourselves. That's the bad news that prepares us for the good news that Christ died for sinners. That he was buried and he rose again. That's the good news. So it's easy for us to look on the, the law side and, and neglect the gospel side. But you cannot really look at the gospel and ignore the law. Are you with me? It's easy to, to do one or the other. So when we look at a gospel lens, we're not necessarily saying that we don't legislate or that we don't seek to have righteous laws, but we also have one eye on the gospel of giving life. Not just physically, and not just spiritually, but physically also. That we would seek to... Uh, uh, what's the word? That we would seek to foster life both inside of the womb and outside of the womb. And so while abortion makes you to eradicate the image of God, the gospel gives life to the image of God. In fact, when we believe the gospel, you know the scriptures say that in Romans 8, that he predestined us to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So it upholds the image of God because we become not just like Adam, but we become like the second Adam. We are conformed into the image of the second man. And we are literally made into the image of Christ, the image of God. So that's one area where the sanctity of human life is under attack. And I think we need to view it through a gospel lens, both through the, uh, if we could put it this way, through the victim and through... uh, the doer, if that makes sense. Um, so let's move on. Number two, uh, abortion eradicates the image of God, but the gospel gives life. One, an, another area that I think we could talk about is uh, human trafficking. Uh, human trafficking is a huge problem. Uh, and uh, what that does is it enslaves the image of God. It enslaves the image of God by using it, twisting it, uh, binding it for twisted purposes. But when we think about what the gospel does, the gospel frees the image of God. And so what do, what do the criminals need? They need the gospel. What do the people who endure such situations? They need the gospel. And so when we think about enslavery, uh, slavery in, in all its various shapes, it, this even goes back to, you know, American chattel slavery. Um, this enslaving of the image of God is a devaluation to think that you could own the image of God. Whereas the gospel frees the image of God. When we, when we trust Christ... We are set free from our sins. We are set free from our bondage to sin. We're set free from a slavery to fear and to death and to, to doubt and worry and, and all of those things. And so the gospel upholds the image of God in that instead of enslaving, it sets us free. But another way you can think of it is, is it makes us slaves to the only good, true, loving master, right? What does Paul say? 
he begins every letter. I'm a slave to Christ, right? He, he purchased me. He owns me. But in that servant, uh, servanthood to Christ, we are truly free. So human trafficking enslaves the image of God, but the gospel frees it. Let's look at a third area. Uh, and here we would just say discrimination in general. Discrimination eviscerates the image of God. The, the word eviscerates means to, to disembowel, to gut, right? The viscera, you know, it's a Latin word for your entrails, to, to gut something. And that's what uh, discrimination does, whether it's racism, whether it's uh, some kind of uh, a good example. We might all... Um, Issue and, and say, no, we, we, we understand that racism is bad. But, but there are also other kinds of discri- discrimination. For example, um, let me just put it this way. People on the autism spectrum are created in the image of God. They are not less than. They are not somehow uh, not worthy of being considered. Uh, people with Down syndrome are created in the image of God. If there's, if there's anything that we look at, maybe they're not as able as other people. Maybe they're, we would, you know, I, I, I'll be honest, I don't know what the terminology is, so if, if this offends anybody, but, but, you know, disabled, that we might refer to as, they are created in the image of God. So what, what does that mean to gut the image of God is to say the image of God is merely an external factor. So if someone's brain does not operate in a way that we might say is normal, if they're on the spectrum or if they have Down syndrome, that, that we say that physical matter, that physical difference, that's the image of God only. And because they don't have like we have, they're not created in the image of God. That, that removes all the soul, that removes all the spirit and everything that, uh, that might go with those, those parts of the human body, the human spirit, the human soul. And it says those don't matter. The image of God is merely physical, right? It's the same thing with race. We gut the inside if we say the image of God is solely based on skin color or it's solely based on ability, those physical characteristics. Meanwhile, what the gospel does, instead of gutting, it fills the image of God. So not only when you become a Christian, not only are you still in the image of Adam, you are a human being, but now you are filled up and overflowing and becoming the image of Christ. So the gospel doesn't do away with your body, right? When you become a Christian, our hope is not that one day we're going to be buried and never see our body again, is it? No. You will be resurrected and you will have a glorified body, but it's, you're going to recognize yourself in the mirror. Let's put it that way, okay? So the gospel fills that image with, with value. It upholds it and says that we are made in the image of God and it upholds that image of God. So instead of gutting it and removing the, the content, the gospel fills and overflows it. Let's look at one fourth area, and that is what we see with, with gender ideology. Gender ideology erases the image of God. So what gender ideology does is it comes along and says there's no distinctions. It's fluid. It's a spectrum. It is, it is something that can change from day to day such that it erases 
being made in the image of God. That who you are born, your biological uh, sex is something that is not valuable or can be set aside. But what does the gospel do? It doesn't erase that distinction. It doesn't erase, but it upholds the image of God. And so as we think about the way the gospel applies to, to gender ideology, I think we have to be honest and say that, the, think of it this way. The problem with all of, well, not with all of these, the problem with all of the, the gender ideology things is, is not that, I want to be careful. The, the, the problem with gender ideology is it's just not good enough. And what I mean by that is if you erase the image of God, right? We read in Genesis 1 that he created the male and female. If you erase that, God says on the sixth day he saw that it was very good. If you erase that such that there are no distinctions, then you're, you're, you're settling for something less. And what the gospel does is it comes and upholds the image of God. That now, like, I am a man. I was born a man. And God saved me. And I am a man in Christ. You are a man in Christ, a woman in Christ. Now, I know what Paul says, that there's neither male nor female nor Jew or Gentile in Christ. I get that. But he's not saying that you cease to be what you are biologically. There, that's not what Paul's saying. And so while gender ideology may seek to erase, the gospel upholds the image of God. So in all these places where it's challenged, remember our main idea is that human life is sacred. But nowhere where it's challenged does the gospel come along and say, yes, the image of God is less valuable now. Or the, the image of God can be done away with. Or the image of God, the sacredness of human life, is something that we can put to rest. Right? One of the things that the gospel does not do, and here's where your, your end times theology is very important. If we're very careful about how we read the Bible, the Bible does not end with some disembodied spiritual existence floating on the clouds. It ends with a new heaven and a new earth. It ends with us in resurrected bodies. So not only is, is it upheld now, the image of God, but it will be upheld for all eternity. That we are created in the image of God. That we will have bodies and that we will enjoy a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. So kind of backing up to what we said about laws. Are laws important? Yes. But I think at, ve at the very best, they are a stopgap measure in the meantime. We can seek to, to lobby our, our elected officials. We obviously want to see righteous laws in the land. But it is not that law that can change hearts. It is not that law that can change someone from being someone who does not hold to the sanctity of human life. Because let's be honest, right? You can be anti-abortion, you can be anti-trafficking, you can be anti-discrimination, and you can be anti-gender ideology and still reach the end of your life and go to hell. 
So none of these laws, none of these stances are what saves us. What we need and what these situations need is the gospel. And if we, if we wanted to, to summit, summarize the case for the value of human life, we have to look no further than Jesus. What did Jesus do in upholding the value of human life? Well, number one, he became a man. Just follow the logic here. Does God ever do anything that's not good? That's the right answer. So Jesus becomes a man. God becomes a man. He becomes human flesh. He takes on. He becomes God incarnate. Now... We might say, yeah, but that was while he was doing his earthly ministry. He, he, didn't, he wasn't a ghost. You know, he, didn't, he didn't come as a spirit. He was just living on the earth. Okay, well then what about the resurrection? Jesus does not leave his body in the grave. But instead, think about this. God, who never changes who's always the same yesterday, today, and forever, becomes a man, and then when he dies, he still has a physical body. God uh, in Christ still has a physical body. If that isn't the upholding of the image of God, I don't know what is. So not only that, but then think about this. Jesus, when he comes, lays down his life to save human beings. If there's any question that God values humanity and human beings, this should be the definitive answer. That Jesus Christ took on flesh and gave his life for us. The Bible says he does that because he loves us. He doesn't just value human life. It's not just sacred. He loves us. So when we think about the sanctity of human life, I think we see that human life is sacred and the gospel affirms, the work of Jesus affirms the sanctity of human life wherever it is challenged. And so let's, let's approach it from that lens of the gospel and then maybe consider how we can redouble our efforts to make the gospel known, to make the gospel uh, known by those who need to hear it who are arguing for these things. Really the gospel is the only hope for our world. It's the only hope for our country. And it's the only message out there that fully upholds the value and life of a human being. And so I hope that you see this morning how this is not just a political talking point. It's a theological talking point. One that spans Old and New Testament. One that goes from Genesis to Revelation and into eternity future. The human life is sacred and the gospel affirms this sanctity wherever it might be challenged. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this reminder from your word that, uh, Lord, we, we sometimes forget those old truths that we need to hear again. And maybe that's true today. Help us to see the value not just of of our life that you showed us jesus by dying on the cross but the lives of, of countless others god the lives of our 
our neighbors, our co-workers, the value of the life of those that we might look down upon or think ourselves better than. But Lord, we thank you that if we ever doubt your care and your concern, we have to look no further than the cross where you laid down your life and you endured the punishment that we deserved for our sins. And God, you took our sins to the cross and you buried them in the tomb. And God, you came out in a glorified, resurrected body and you left our sin, our shame, our punishment in that tomb such that now we have life through the gospel. We have fulfillment. We are filled and made into the image of Christ through trusting him. And Jesus, we are promised, God, that one day we will see you face to face. So Lord, as we come to a time where we pray and reflect, God, show us where, where maybe there's areas where we haven't really upheld the sanctity of human life. Where maybe we thought that some lives were, were okay to spare and some weren't. God, lives that we, we maybe thought were less valuable than others. And Lord, I know there's probably some in this room who are thinking, nobody in this room could think that. Lord, we, we would probably be surprised. So God, help us to confess those areas. And God, repent to turn away from them and seek your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.